Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This is show number 91, NTSB hearings on the Buffalo plane crash. On May 12, 2009, the NTSB began a three-day public hearing about its ongoing investigation into the fatal February 2009 crash of a Continental Connection airliner in Buffalo, New York. Among the issues that came up were the possible roles of crew fatigue and crew training in the accident. During the last day of the hearing, noted aviation consultant Mike Boyd and I sat down with host Dave Burns of the State of Nevada program on KNPR Radio in Las Vegas. The National Transportation Safety Board is into its third and final day of hearings into the fatal February commuter air crash that left 49 people dead in Buffalo. Investigators have determined that the crew of the Continental Connection flight demonstrated a mix of fatigue and poor training, and the captain of the flight had failed at least three pilot tests before joining the operator of the plane, Colgan Air. On any given day, there are 495 total flights in and out of McCarran International Airport. Of that total, at least 11 are the sort of commuter planes flown by Colgan Air, which doesn't actually fly into McCarran. The hearings have raised serious questions about the quality of airline safety in the U.S., and in particular, pilot training, pay, travel, and fatigue. Joining us now to discuss what the investigation into that February plane crash says about airline safety is Mike Boyd. He is an aviation consultant. He joins us on the line from his office in suburban Denver. Also, Todd Curtis, founder and publisher of airsafe.com. He's also written the book, Understanding Air Safety Data. He's been an airline safety analyst for the Boeing Company. And Mike Boyd, welcome back to the program. Todd, it's good to have you here. And Mike, as you're watching this, what should the takeaway be for people who fly regularly in this country? Well, let's get something straight here. You know, these are not independent airlines. These are people that lease airplanes to big companies. They're not regional. They're not airlines. People like Colgan, they lease their airplanes to Continental. The issue is, how well were they trained, and did they violate rules? Apparently, from what we've seen, they didn't have a sterile cockpit, and that's the real thing to focus on. Let's talk about that, because that's a phrase, Mike Boyd, that's been thrown thrown around in the news coverage over the past 24, 48 hours, a, a sterile cockpit. What, what exactly is that? It means below 10,000 feet you focus on the job, not you know BSing about you know how bad the company is, how pretty your wife is, or how lunch was. You focus entirely on the business. And let me add that um, the sterile cockpit isn't for the entire flight, uh, simply for the portion of the flight below 10,000 feet, which happens to be the busiest time of flight in the area where the most accidents happen. And that's because why? It re- revol- involves uh, the greatest amount of activity on the part of the pilots? That's correct. Uh, this is the portion of the flight where changes are more likely to happen. Uh, during cruise, certainly they may get uh, commands from air traffic control to change direction. But during takeoff and approach and landing, that's when you're going to have a lot of things happening, other traffic in the area, changes of runway, uh, weather changes close to the ground, uh, procedures for letting down the landing gear, etc. A lot of things are happening in close proximity to another in time. And the FAA wants pilots to focus on that portion of the flight especially well. Certainly, Todd Curtis, McCarran Airport is the, is the lifeblood, along with I-15 uh, to Las Vegas. It's the lifeblood of our tourism industry here. And so these issues all matter deeply to the people in this region. And a Federal Aviation Administration scientist, Tom Nestus, uh, testified Wednesday uh, at this National Tra- Transportation Safety Board hearing that sleepy pilots are, quote, unable to judge the extent of their impairment and likely and likely to have trouble concentrating and following multiple sources of information Todd, the, the, the pilots going in, at, in, in and out of the typical airports, such as McCarran, 
How many of them are suffering from some state of, of fatigue? Is that just a natural state of behavior of uh, existence for pilots? Well, this brings up a couple of points. Uh, one, there are very strict FAA regulations as to the amount of time pilots can fly during the year and the amount of time, the amount of rest they have between flights. Now, there's also a reality that pilots face, especially pilots of the smaller airlines. They may have to commute a tremendous distance just to get to work. In the case of this accident, the co-pilot commuted from Seattle to Newark, and the pilot commuted from Florida to Newark, and there were really no provisions uh, made by the airline to provide uh, crew rest facilities while they were en route to Newark. So it's an open question how tired these two folks were, but there's no question they spent a tremendous number of hours traveling to Newark before they even got on the airplane that day. Todd Curtis, I think we heard in these hearings that the, the pilot of the plane actually slept on a couch at Newark, which uh, violated uh, at least uh, airlines regulations. We heard that the co-pilot, who uh, you noted had flown in from Seattle, had taken a couple of days to get to Newark for that matter. Is that common for uh, pilots of commuter airlines? It's common that the pilots of commuter airlines don't have the luxury of signing onto an airline in their local area. It's common for pilots to have several jobs uh, during their careers. And if you're established in one part of the country, the opportunities are in another. Uh, the choices aren't very good ones. You can take your $19,000 a year job and try and move yourself and your family to another part of the country. Or you can travel and make do uh, with a long commute to work. And most often, people make the second choice. So in light of that, Todd Curtis, I have to ask you, do you feel safe flying on commuter airlines? Uh, well, looking at the numbers and looking at my own personal experience, I have no hesitation, no qualms whatsoever on flying on these kinds of airlines. Uh, I fly on them regularly, especially when I fly to smaller cities, where often you don't have the choice. If you're going, let's say, from Las uh, Vegas to New York, there are plenty of large airlines and large aircraft. But if you're going from Las Vegas to Appleton, Wisconsin, at some point you're going to be on one of these regional carriers. Now, that said, we have to look at the record. There simply hasn't been that many fatal accidents of any kind in the United States in the last 10 years. So, Mike Boyd, certainly uh, Mesa Airlines and SkyWest fly in and out of McCarran. And as we're looking at the safety uh, records of commuter airlines and the fact that pilots bounce from uh, airline to airline as they're getting to uh, their destination, do you feel safe flying on these smaller airlines? Well, yeah, I think Todd summed it up. We've got to take the hysteria out of this that... You know, there's a difference between safety and a lot of experience. Uh, we, I feel very safe with these airlines. I didn't 25 years ago when I was in that racket, but today, you know, these airlines are safe. That's one thing. But another thing is, many air, airline pilots commute here in Denver. I probably know 15 pilots who are live here in Denver and they commute to where their base is. So that's fairly common, uh, even with the big airlines. So to say, you know, commuting isn't a good thing. Well, it's what's there. But yet, yeah, do I feel safe in knowing the people I know who run those airlines today, not 25 years ago, but today? Yeah, I do feel safe. Mike, is, is frustration or are frustration levels higher for pilots? Certainly we've seen layoffs, as you and Todd Curtis have noted, and we've seen pay cuts. We heard that the, the co-pilot on this uh, one Kogan Air flight that, that crashed in Buffalo in February, as you noted, was making about 16000 a year. Has that created job dissatisfaction as a result uh, I don't know if there's a connection between satisfaction and performance, but is there any equation there that, that needs well, to be considered? There's several issues here kind of to look at. Number one, yeah, there are major airline pilots that since 9-11, some of them still aren't back to where they were in the year 2000. That's an economic issue, and I see that. But for these carriers like a uh, Colgan, 
that's the job pool you draw from, and I would bet any amount of money this co-pilot, uh, she probably started flying as a teenager. This was her avocation, and it would be good to have more money, but I think this accident wouldn't have changed if she was paid 32000 or 16000 Going forward, it's one of those issues where the pay doesn't make the difference. It's really the experience. And I'd also like to add something to the situation. Uh, compared to 30 years ago, uh, when I was just learning how to fly, there are many more opportunities to become a professional pilot. Uh, in the days of the protected industries, certainly there were healthy airlines, but there simply weren't that many slots available for someone who wanted to aspire to become an airline pilot. And outside of the fraternity of those who are ex-military pilots, there was especially little opportunity. But today, any kid who's coming up who really, really wants to be an airline pilot understands that the pay may not be there. The opportunity is there like it's never been before. Now, certainly, Todd Curtis, another uh, issue that, that has raised a gr- uh, great many eyebrows in this investigation into the plane crash in Buffalo, Captain Marvin Renslow, the, the pilot, the captain of this plane, had lied on his job application by listing only one of three times that he'd have fa- uh, failed a hands-on proficiency exam. Why wouldn't that have just been automatically uh, reported to the FAA? Well, that's a question that's uh, beyond my, my expertise, but I do know that there are no strict requirements to report every little thing that happens at every stage of a pilot's career to some centralized database. Uh, Like with any other employment situation, the employers have to rely to some extent on the honesty of the pilot. Now certainly uh, they could have uh, done a thorough investigation and maybe have uncovered this, but it's simply not the case in industry that every pilot application gets a thorough going over as though they're getting a, a top secret security clearance. Now we have two issues here. One, did he, did he lie on the application? And two, was he a competent pilot? Now, the first part seems to have been answered by the hearings. There was uh, some discrepancy between his experience and his application. And the airline says that this might have led to him being fired, and we'll take them on, uh, on their word. But it isn't clear at this point whether or not that meant this person was not a competent pilot. That remains to be seen. Mike Boyd, we hear President Obama talking about a national database where we would each have our health care records on file and anyone could tap into that. Doctors, certainly. uh, Patients could tap into that from anywhere in the country. How come we don't have a database like that for pilots that would list everything from their their flight records to how they've performed on tests? That could be done through the FAA, but I am think sure there's a lot of issues involved with setting that up and getting through the bureaucracy, the marshmallow at, at the FAA. But, you know, this happened before. There was an an accident up in uh, Wisconsin uh, several years ago, and they found out the pilot had been fired by another airline, and the, the hiring airline, which wasn't particularly a good one at the time, didn't know the difference. So you, there is some, I think there is some value in pursuing what you're talking about. All right, so as we look at the takeaway, certainly Mike Boyd is an aviation industry consultant with the Boyd Group outside of Denver, and this is something that you've followed for at least 30 years. If you were to make recommendations now on airline safety and what should come out of this, where would you start? Well, one is, is, is oversight of these carriers. Keep in mind, you know, Colgan is not a, a, a two-bit airline. It's a very professional airline. It's parent company, Pinnacle, very professional. But what you have to recognize is you're starting with people that do meet qualifications with the FAA, and, and better FAA oversight might be there. But you can't expect them to have the experience of, you know, Captain Sullenberger right away. It's one of those issues. But don't relate it to safety. Relate, relate it to experience. And Todd Curtis, what do you point to? Where would you start? 
Well, number one, this is a classic accident in that, like many of the accidents in the last 30 years in, in aviation, in commercial airlines, there's not one cause, but several causes. If any number of things have gone differently, had gone differently, this accident may have been avoided. And one of them that really jumps out at me is that uh, there's an issue with the stick pusher, which is one of the warning systems in the cockpit. And the pilot apparently reacted incorrectly when this uh, system was activated. But the really important thing was apparently the airline was allowed to qualify the pilots without having this system demonstrated in a flight simulator. So in essence, here's an emergency system that could have saved the aircraft and everyone on it, but the pilots were never officially or formally trained on how to respond to it. And this is one of those glaring issues where, well, gosh, this could have changed things. Fatigue could have changed things. This is wonderful. We have several things to choose from, and several things should be worked on. We are looking at the National Traffic Safety Board investigation into the February Airlines crash in Buffalo. We're asking what it means for airline safety, particularly in a community such as Las Vegas, which is so dependent upon the health of the airlines of this country. All right, so Todd Curtis, very quickly, does the FAA have the money? Does it have the resources it needs to uh, enact any changes here? Well, it may not have the resources now because, like every other government institution, they're budgeted sometimes years in advance. But if there is a decision on the part of the government to make changes, and those changes uh, cost money, well, certainly it'll be paid for either through tax revenue or through increased fares or a combination. But it's unclear at this point whether or not this is something that the FAA would have the responsibility for changing. For one thing, the NTSB hasn't made a final decision as to what may have caused this accident. And we'll have to uh, wait and see uh, until we decide whether the FAA should spend more money. And finally, Mike Boyd, as we look at the health of the airlines industry and uh, concerns about revenue, uh, Warren Buffett's uh, uh, famous line that if he had been at, at Kitty Hawk uh, when the, the airplane uh, flew its first flight, he would have uh, asked the Wright brothers to, to not take off because airlines don't make money. In light of that, going forward, is there the will within the federal government at the regulatory level to to enact some changes. Well, you know, uh, what changes are those? Sometimes if you want to avoid any accident in the future, I have a simple solution. Don't let humans get near airplanes. That's one thing. Okay. But, you know, it's not as if the FAA let us down on this. There were a whole, as, as, as Todd said, there was a whole slew of things that all came together, and we're not going to be able to fix that. What we want to do is learn from this, the training issues and things like that going forward. I think in the middle of the FAA, the people who do the work, there is a tremendous will. At the top, I don't have that much faith. But the people in the middle who do the work, I've got a great deal of faith in them where they will follow this through. Mike Boyd is an aviation industry consultant with the Boyd Group. Joined us on the line from Evergreen, Colorado. Todd Curtis is founder and publisher of airsafe.com. He's written the book, Understanding Air Safety Data. Todd, Mike, thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. You can find additional information about this event at buffalo.airsafe.org and airsafenews.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.